the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 643 for Super Bowl Sunday, February 5th, 2017. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, we answer them. You send in your tips, we share them. You send in your cool stuff found, we share that too. And yeah, we'll be doing that in about a minute and a half here. With the goal being, each and every one of us learns at least four new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Blue Apron where visiting blueapron.com slash MGG gets you your first three meals for free, shipped for free. Very good stuff. Very cool stuff. We've been having a blast cooking some of these things together. We'll talk more about that shortly. Smile Software at smilesoftware.com slash geek with text expander for teams so that you can have everybody on your team communicating the same way that we will talk about shortly here. And Eero at Eero.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG gets you free overnight shipping on what thus far I have found to be the absolute best, certainly my favorite of the mesh Wi-Fi systems uh, at the moment. And that's been true for a while. So we'll talk more about that shortly here, here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing, Mr. John F. Braun? Uh, getting ready for the uh, the big podcast or the, the big, big game. The big podcast. That's right. That's right. So who's going to win today? Is it going to be uh, you or me? I don't oh. care. <laughs> you, oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, all right. You know what? Let's just do this. Let's get right into cool stuff found here. Uh, this is one that actually was sent to me via email by the developer. Something called Wi-Fi widget. And uh, it's pretty cool. Because what it does is it lets you see it's a it's an iOS app uh, works both on iPad and iPhone. It lets you see in your uh, um, uh, what do we call that thing now? Notification center. Sorry. Right from your lock screen, you can see which Wi-Fi network you're connected to. So, uh, you know, you can uh, if you're like trying to do something in Safari and you happen to be at the airport and you see that you're on Wi-Fi, you can swipe down and see, oh, crap, I'm on Logan Wi-Fi again. How did that happen? Uh, you can't change it from there because, of course, iOS doesn't let you change your Wi-Fi settings from anywhere other than the settings app. But you can see it and uh, and you can even have it. You can even put your Wi-Fi password in and have it show you the password if you want to do that. And, you know, maybe you've got like friends over all the time. You want to show them your Wi-Fi password. If you don't have a guest network, you should get a guest network, by the way. But, um, but you know, it, uh, it works. It's very cool. 99 cents. I've already found, you know, I test a lot of stuff. I've been testing all kinds of stuff. In fact, lately it's been the Google Wi-Fi and the Linksys Velop and the new Synology router that I talked about last week. So, Sometimes I truly at home don't know what Wi-Fi I'm on. And uh, and it's really handy to be able to see that without having to change apps and just be able to swipe down and see it. So very, very cool stuff. We will put a link to that in uh, in the show notes for sure. But handy little app. I like it, John. How about you? You like it? 
Have you checked it oh, out? I should try it because every now and then when I get home, yeah. my uh, iOS device is stuck on the uh, my ISP's Wi-Fi, optimal Wi-Fi, and I have to uh, kind of give it a little nudge. Uh, yeah. Usually when things don't work as I expect because I think I'm on my network and I try to run something and sure. it like, doesn't work or it just fails or sits there getting all confused, I'm like, oh, it's because I'm on optimal Wi-Fi. Because you're on the wrong so, one. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I don't know why iOS isn't, uh, isn't smart about that. Yeah. Well, you know, that's how it goes. All right. Uh, so the next, uh, the next, it should be smart about that, by the way, before we move on to the next one, it, you should be able to, if you are synced with iCloud and you prioritize the Wi-Fi list on your Mac, mm-hmm. that same priority list in yep. theory, in theory. Oh, I do. I know. I believe you. <laughs> yeah. My local one is, is yeah. on the top of the list. Yeah. I Even if I'm sitting next to it. I mean, I got yeah. one of the Eros in the same room where I typically, uh, you know, do my computing. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's feet away. I mean, it's like, dude, that, that's the strongest signal. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Alex, and I think this was in Facebook, uh, but it may have been elsewhere, linked us to a great little page of Apple's that shows all of their current public repair extension programs. So uh, even if your warranty is expired, there are some repair programs that Apple uh, e- extends beyond that. If there's something going on, like there's, you know, the iPhone 6S program for the unexpected shutdown issues. Uh, There is the 27-inch iMac 3-terabyte hard drive replacement program. This page, one page, lists all of the publicly available repair and extension programs. There are, at times, not necessarily always, but other ones that are not published and yet geniuses um, know about and, and can take advantage of too. Uh, but, uh, but it's handy to be able to look and see, Hey, wait, you know, am I, am I eligible for one of these? Do I need to worry about this? Great little page to check out. So thanks Alex for sharing that with us. We'd love cool stuff found like that. Ken brings us another one. Uh, this one, Ken says, I have a spec candy shell case and a bracelet band on my 42 millimeter Apple watch. Uh, And my other two chargers didn't work. He says, I had one charger that kept making a sound every minute because the watch kept coming on and off of it. And he said, I had another that was kind of on an angle. But my cool stuff found is the third charger I tried. It's called the Belkin Valet Charger Power Pack 6700 milliamp hour for Apple Watch and iPhone. It's 99 bucks, he says. And some people feel like that's too expensive, but... He really likes it. It's got a little uh, uh, puck for the Apple Watch built right into it. It's essentially like a little battery pack, but uh, and it, it does have a port so you could charge your iPhone simultaneously. So great for traveling uh, when it's really tough to plug something in on the bed stand, you know, in a, in a hotel. But he's using it for his Apple Watch and he says he's loving it. Uh, he says he's able to get, uh, you know, many, many days. He says... My Belkin charger charged my Apple Watch 11 times before it needed a refill. So, very cool stuff. I like it. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes, of course, because that's what we do. No Apple Watch yet for you, right, Sean? No. Mm. All right. Yeah, maybe someday. Yeah, of course. Back to Alex on Facebook. Alex linked us to something that actually Jeff Gamut wound up writing a how-to for at the Mac Observer, and it's a piece of uh, command line software 
called DD Rescue. It is, as Alex calls it, the king of data recovery. He said, maybe Steve's Steve Gibson's SpinWrite is better. I don't know, but this tool is absolutely amazing and it's free. You will need Homebrew to install it via terminal, but there is a GUI front end. Uh, he says, do you have smart or other hard drives that have failed that you can't get data off of? Even if it doesn't mount, DD Rescue will see it and likely be able to get data off of it. And, uh, and Jeff did some testing with this. Very, very cool utility. Again, available totally for free. The TMO article that we put up shows exactly how to install the, uh, the GUI for it. If you, uh, you know, if you want to do it that way, it's actually really not that difficult to do from the command line. But, uh, but a GUI always kind of saves you from having to think about what command to type, if nothing else. So very, very cool stuff, Alex. Thank you for, um, for sending this our way. It's exciting, man. I'm, and speaking of GUIs, yes. If you'd like a GUI for homebrew, how could I not have thought that you would bring this up? Yes, a GUI for homebrew is called Cake Brew. So if you go to cakebrew.com, you get a nice GUI for homebrew. There you go. Was something that I I used Fink for the longest time, and the one reason I liked it is because they had a thing called Fink Commander, which was a GUI for Fink. But uh, Fink is not. I don't know. I, I don't think they have as many packages as right. uh, some of the other, other options. So I eventually ditched it and, you know, took your advice and moved over to homebrew. But yeah. then I found this because I'm like, I want a GUI. There you go. Yeah. Nothing wrong with a GUI. It's handy. Nice to be able to see what you've got installed and how that's all coming together. I use, I use, still use the command line because I wind up managing homebrew on multiple computers just from the terminal so I don't have to go around and, and do stuff. But, uh, but, I I I, I totally, in fact, grok the benefit of a GUI because that way I can just see what I've got and all that good stuff. Ed sends in, uh, he says, your discussion on episode 641 about email clients you recommended, uh, SparkMail. He said, I tried SparkMail and AirMail both, but then I switched over a to, a, to a new one called uh, EasyMail, right? Do I have this right? Yeah, easily do. Sorry. Uh, he says it's from easilydomail.com. It has an assistant that can collect all of your travel expenses, entertainment type emails together from a single view. He says, I love it. And it is at easilydomail.com. So well worth checking out. And I think it's available for, uh, well, let me make sure. But I, when I was testing this, I think I found it available for free. Yes, it is for free in the app store for iOS. So if you're looking for yet another iOS email client to try out, that's the one. Um, one last thing from in Cool Stuff Found here, John, because uh, it came up in last week's show, I believe. Yeah, it was last week's show. Robin writes, in 642, one listener was commenting about minimal resolutions offered for setting up displays. There is one very good utility that opens up a wealth of options and settings, and it's called Switch Res X. I really like this app for the additional flexibility it offers for almost any display, including the built-in one. Um, and this is true. Switch Res X works. However, because of the system integrity protection, it won't install. So you have to turn it off, turn off SIP, then install Switch Res X, then turn it back on, as I'm told. I haven't tried installing it, but uh, but I did send it around to a few of you, and, and you reported that back. So, um, so that is... Uh, something to bear in mind, but if you want those options, then that's uh, 
That's how Switch Res X will work. Pretty good stuff, huh, John? Fantastic. Lantastic is what I like to say. Do you remember Lantastic? Oh, yeah. Do you? I, I, I do. Back. It's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, also in show 642, we talked about uh, using various different apps uh, for managing your grocery list in a distributed way. And then we got the most number of comments about a single issue in a week that I think we've ever gotten since the day we started Mac Geek Gab almost 12 years ago. And, uh, and that is many, many, so many of you suggested that we use reminders, setting up a separate reminders list in calendar or whatever, you know, in the reminders app really, but it's all linked to Apple calendars that's stored on their servers in iCloud. And uh, if you do that, of course, you can share a to-do list, a reminders list, and then you put the stuff right on uh, the reminders list. And of course, you can do it with voice control. I'm not going to say the trigger word, but uh, but you can do it with with voice control there and uh, and and add things. And we even had uh, one of you suggested that uh, it was a, a, a guy and his son go grocery shopping together. And they both start at different ends of the store. They both have their iPhones out with this this shared list. And as one of them marks something off, it's synced to the other one's phone. So you get this constantly updating real-time uh, list of what's left to buy and makes the entire shopping experience more efficient. So that I really like. Um, so, you know, had to, uh, <laughs> had to share that. Thank you, all of you, for... Uh, <laughs> for for how you uh how you do that so it's pretty good pretty good that's probably uh one of the best uses of of reminders shared reminders that i've seen i never quite understood the shared reminders thing um for at least for my workflow but uh for this it's pretty good any thoughts on that john oddly enough i don't really use reminders either it's the one item that i, well, don't I well, have i use checked. reminders i use mm -hmm. it in insanely but I and I, I rely on it for so many things, but I don't use shared reminders is the key. So but you don't use reminders at all, huh? Nope. It's um, I, 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 I you know, I've tried a lot of different to do type of lists and that sort of thing. Um, I I find reminders to be the, the well. I mean, I use it via BusyCal because I like their UI, both on iPhone and on the Mac. In fact, uh, if you haven't checked out BusyCal yet, it, it's outstanding. Uh, one of my favorite apps, I, I use it, again, both on the Mac and on, uh, on, on iOS for managing not only my to-do lists, but uh, reminders, if you call it that. But it, it links into all the iCloud stuff, so it's all the same list. But... Um, but it's just simple reminders. I put it on. I say, I want that date. I want to make sure I do that. And then it's done. And that's good to go. So, I Honestly, I use calendar for. For your calendar. About things that should, I should do. You just put it as a, as an appointment on your calendar. Yeah, or as an all day alert. And then, you know, I'll set, you know, for things like, you know, paying taxes or whatever. Uh, you know, I have a reminder saying, oh yeah, you know, yeah. You got to do this in a week. Make sure you don't forget. Right. Okay. Right. 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 I'll just get a notification and it comes up. You might want to try reminders. Um, yeah. 
It's just, it, yeah, it, it, because it's nice. Cause it'll carry them forward and that sort of thing. If you don't wind up doing it on one day. Um, and again, I, I find Apple's interface for reminders is okay. Uh, busy Cal's interface way better, more streamlined, much simpler, but it gets the job done. And that's sort of the point. So again, thank you to everyone who, uh, who suggested using reminders for the grocery list. It's pretty good. All right, John, you got uh, you got a tip from uh, Ioannis, right? Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it was a tip that uh, it was a tip that that they had found. I was just asking about this. Um, they were saying uh, I saw this. It was a OS ten daily, which I guess they're going to have to rename their site now. Right? <laughs> it's a Mac OS daily. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it's sure. Always, it's not always. Um, but it was basically a, a article saying, uh, oh yeah, by the way, um, if you do a verify of your, uh, this is fairly recent, but if you, do, if you verify your time machine backup, now how do you do that? You may ask. And the way you do that is if you go to the time machine menu and you hold down. Yes. All right. So if you hold down option, you're going to see an option. So it says, Verify backups. And if you choose that, uh, this is new um, uh, per the man page for TMUtil. So TMUtil is the uh, command line utility for TMUtil. But if you look at the man page, it says, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, ever since OS 10, 10.11, uh, Time Machine will include checksums in the backup. And if you do a verify, what will happen is that it will compare what's on your disk with the checksums that were calculated on the backup, uh, a checksum being a very basic way of making sure that data has not gotten corrupt. It uh, basically just add up all the values and say, okay, well, here's a checksum. And, uh, and if you recalculate it on the computer and it's different, then one of them is wrong. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and the statement here, yeah, so it says Time Machine records checksums of files copied into snapshots. Checksums are not retroactively computed for files that were copied by earlier versions of OS X. So, uh, so Time Machine does kind of... Uh, so one thing that, you know, we, we you know, stress to people, and we'll stress it again, is that making backups is good, but making sure that the backup is uh, consistent is also important because a corrupt backup isn't going to do you much good when you try to restore. Right. So this right. is something you may want to try. I think actually, I believe, I, I don't know what algorithm they use to do this, but I'll see it happen sometimes. I'll see time machine running and I'm like, well, what are you doing? And it's like, Oh, I'm verifying for you. Okay. I don't know what, what prompts that though. Yeah, that's can, not, but th see, that's two different types of verification though, right? When Time Machine is verifying, it's doing like a verified disk on the, uh, on the sparse bundle. So it's making sure that the structure and the file system of your backup disk is intact or, and, or repairing it so that at mm -hmm. the end of the process, it's intact. It's very much not verifying the, um, the the that the that the data in your backup matches the data on your disk right so two completely different forms of verification but what you're talking about here by using tmutil to do checksums on stuff that's very different 
Um, but I don't think that's using the um, the verify backups thing. Although the article claims that I think they're the wrong. The two are equivalent. Okay, they could be wrong. I think they're wrong, uh, unless that has changed very recently. But choosing verify backups from the menu options, um, it, it does not do verify checksums. It, 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 it at least it never has. Like, again, this may have changed, but I don't think they're wrong. Um, it's worth checking into, man, because I, I really don't think that this is correct. I, I think it only, um, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's verified. Saying. I think it's verified checksums thing. Obviously it, that will do it. And then you can compare it, uh, to, to, you know, to the files that exist, but I don't, I don't think just the option keys thing again, unless it's changed, but, uh, up until what, maybe six months ago. So, uh, it's possible this changed in Sierra, but I don't think it did. So use the second half of this article, the, the uh, TM util verify checksums path to backup thing that will work, but you got to do it from the command line. Mm-hmm. It's worth checking it into it though. Have you yeah, done it? Low. Have you, have you run a verified backup from the, the, the menu to see if that has changed? Uh, I'm gonna have to look at the. the I'm gonna have to look at the logs. Unfortunately, the console they've they've kind of ruined everything. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> or at least they've they significantly changed um, what you see in the console. Yeah. Um, that's something we should revisit as well. You, you won't see uh, backup D is the process, and it used to be that you could go into the console and look, you know, search for backup D, and that would show you what a time machine is doing. I believe that's the process, right? Yeah, backup D, but it does, it really doesn't yeah. anymore. You got you got to go through some gyrations, which we should. Uh, I'll find an article about that. I actually have it in my uh, notepad somewhere. You have to do some crazy stuff in order to see either real time or uh, uh, past activity mm. with backup D. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can see it. I mean, if you open up console, like you said, and just filter on backup D, you, you should be able to see what's going on with with Time Machine. Um, or maybe it's just backup. Uh, no, it's backup D. That's right. This computer's got a problem with Time Machine. So it's not. So that's why I don't have any items in my log about it. Yay, Time Machine. All right. Um, Terrence posted on Facebook uh, that he was having a problem where he says, uh, I'm having a problem with windows from the menu bar opening and then quickly closing before I can select any item from that window. For example, if I mouse up to the Safari menu bar and click on the bookmarks, the window or the menu pops open, but closes right away before I can slide down and make a selection. Sometimes these windows will stick, but usually, and when he says windows really he's talking about menus, um, will, will stick, but usually I have to click two or three times to have the menu stay open. They seem to be system-wide, or this problem seems to be system-wide in the Finder and other applications. I've repaired permissions. I've run repair with Drive Genius. I've cleaned up everything with Onyx. Any ideas? And we had a great discussion. When I say we, in this case, uh, you folks had it before I even ever saw the post. But um, it turned out that it was the double-click speed of his mouse uh, was set too uh i guess was set too quickly so he changed the double click speed and that 
Um, and that solved the problem during the, the, the kind of the troubleshooting that, that happened. And this is again, this is one of the things I love, love, love about our Facebook group at uh, MacGeekUp.com slash Facebook is you get so many people contributing, you know, just their, their first gut reactions and their thoughts to this stuff. And Brent there said, try using Sierra's keyboard viewer to see if there, if it thinks there are keys stuck down on your keyboard, because it's possible that having a key stuck down would cause obviously things to, to react differently. And if your keyboard, you know, got gummed up somehow or something, and it thinks the option key or the shift key or whatever is stuck down, uh, that might be affecting this. That obviously in this case, that wasn't Terrence's uh, issue and wasn't the solution, but that's a great, great thing. Um, but it was Alex who suggested going to system preferences, accessibility, mouse and trackpad, um, but uh, or just regular mouse. And, I don't think you need, need to go to accessibility. I think it's just system preferences, mouse, and then uh, and then alter the double click speed there. And that uh, that that wound up doing it. So pretty good stuff. I always love these discussions. Thank you for everyone. Thanks for Terrence for asking it. But thanks, everyone, for contributing and, and just being there. And if you're not there, MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook. Come one, come all. We welcome everybody. So uh, it's a great little place and it's growing uh, every day. We're adding tons of new members. So it's a fun little place to be. Any thoughts on that, John? No. Of course not. No. Never, 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 never. Um, all right. Well, it's, uh, it's almost time to get into the questions, John. But I want to take a minute and speak about our sponsors, if that's okay by you. Okay. All right. Uh, I mentioned it in the pre-show and Blue Apron is one of our sponsors this week. Blue Apron. And if you go to blueapron.com slash MGG, then you can get three meals for free, including free shipping. Blue Apron is a service that sends you all the ingredients you need and a beautifully printed how-to sheet to make, to take those ingredients and turn them into a beautiful meal on your dinner table. These meals are really, really high quality food, really fresh ingredients. They taste great. And the instructions are fun. Uh, It's not that they write them funnily or anything. It's just that they're fun to go through because it makes it really easy. Like in our house, we all like to cook, but because Lisa winds up doing the cooking most often, the recipes and kind of the meals that we eat all sort of live in her head. So it's difficult for us all to really contribute uh, in a meaningful way. I mean, we can certainly help her and obviously set the table and do all that other stuff. But but in really being engaged in the process and having someone take, all right, you're going to do this part. You're going to do that part. Um, it's just difficult. And uh, and this really makes that easy. It opens it up. The meals come to uh, a little bit less, usually than than about ten dollars a person. Uh, per plate, which is, you know, uh, really not uh, not a whole lot different than what you'd spend if you were, you know, doing a, a decent meal for your family. And uh, certainly a lot cheaper than going out to eat. And we find this as much fun as going out to eat because it becomes this family process that we all participate in together. And we're trying new stuff like we would be if we were going out to eat. So a really fun thing. Uh, you sign up for a subscription but it make they make it super easy to skip weeks. So you could sign up for a subscription and really only have like, you know, one week a month delivered if you want, or you could have every week a month delivered if you want. 
And, uh, and some of these meals are just fantastic. You know, they've got, uh, uh, an udon noodle soup with miso and soft boiled eggs. You know, that's kind of a thing that I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think I could make. And yet you can, uh, crispy barramundi with quinoa and roasted carrot salad. We've got some really yummy burgers coming this week that, uh, that I want to check out for the whole family. It, you know, a cashew chicken stir fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice. These are cool things and you can make them and they all take, you know, like 30 minutes or less typically start to finish. So you got to check it out. Visit blueapron.com. Go and blueapron.com slash MGG, because that way you get the first three meals that you order for free. The shipping is free. Our huge thanks to Blue Apron at blueapron.com slash MGG for sponsoring this episode. Text Expander for Teams is our next sponsor. At smilesoftware.com slash geek is where you can learn all about this. Text Expander is something I've been using uh, for years. In fact, I use it while we do this show to help build the show notes in real time because it saves me the typing time of crafting exactly the right form that I need to put all this stuff in. I can just copy a link to the clipboard. I can hit or I can type comma SN that because for show notes and boom, it just like fills it all out for me. It works great. I know I'm not going to get it wrong. I'm no, I know I'm not going to make a typo because it's all part of the shortcut that's there. So this is very powerful stuff. Like I said, it's leveraging what's on the keyboard, sorry, leveraging what's on the clipboard. It can also allow you to enter things into forms as the list goes or as a, as the, the process goes. So you can have it ask you questions and, and you choose different things to put in at different times. If you want very, very powerful stuff, text expander for teams does that and shares the snippets amongst everybody on your team. So imagine that, right? Imagine all of like, if you, you know, you're, you're going to be dealing with customers. I always say every business is the customer service business. So you're, you're, you're going to be dealing with customers. And I know how we all are. We say, okay, great. This is what we're going to say, you know, in this instance, this is what we're going to say in this instance, but then somebody tweaks it and somebody messes with it or somebody rewrites it, but not everybody gets the rewrite. Well, now you put all that stuff into text expander for teams and everybody has it. All your team's common replies worded by your best writers. Nobody's making typos. Nobody has the old version. It's all synced, immediately accessible, searchable. And like I said before, simple abbreviations totally make it work. And they're available on all platforms, Mac, iOS, and, uh, and Windows. It's coming very, very soon. Very, very soon. So you got to check this out. Go to smilesoftware.com slash geek. Check out Text Expander for Teams and our thanks to Smile for sponsoring this episode. Our third sponsor is Eero. If you go to Eero.com, you will be able to purchase what I have found to be the best mesh Wi-Fi system currently available. And I test all of them. I mean, it's crazy. My, my family, I think they kind of hate me. They hate me just for the number of boxes that are at my house, let alone all the things that I test. And thus far, I have not found anything that I like better than Eero. A big part of that is that they've been the one that's on the market the longest. And because of that, they have the most robust software. 
They know what works. They have uh, lots of features in the software, but more importantly, they've figured out how to make it so that it works with your devices because lots of people have all these devices. They have lots of these things in places. They've learned what works, works really, really well. And it really is, you can get geeky with it if you want, but it's mostly set it up and forget it. And you have now blanketed your home in mesh Wi-Fi. Brilliantly executed, works so well, it, this is like stuff that used to only be available in the enterprise. You hear us talk about this all the time here. And we've been trying to teach you how to set up like quasi meshes for years because it's what we've been doing in our homes. Now you don't have to think about that. And frankly, even if you wanted to, what Eero does is better because with Eero, the devices, the Eero devices themselves participate in the decision process of which of your access points, any of your, your client devices are going to connect to. So as you move through the house with your iPhone, it's not just up to your iPhone to decide when to move to the next access point. The Eero helps you. It also helps decide whether you should be connected to the 2.4 gigahertz radio or the five gigahertz radio. It's very difficult for a client device to know which of those two it should connect to without having information from the radio itself. Eero participates in that process as well. Very, very cool stuff. Very, very easy. Their customer support is amazing. I've used it. I don't even think they knew who I was. Like, I don't think they realized I was reviewing it or anything when I first tested it. Didn't matter. They treated me. It was like they answered right away. They had all the answers. Everything was great. So you got to check this out. Go to Eero.com and here's the special deal. If you want free overnight shipping, so, yep, that means you could have an Eero as soon as tomorrow, depending on what time in the day you order and what day you order. And, you know, we all know how shipping works. Go to Eero.com. Use coupon code MGG at checkout after you've chosen overnight shipping and coupon code MGG will make your shipping free. So go check it out. Eero.com. Our huge thanks to Eero for being a sponsor of this episode. All right, John. I think it's time to let Dave ask a question. Shall we? Does that work for you? Mm, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll allow it. Okay. Hey, guys. This is uh, Dave from Rhode Island. Just wanted to throw out a quick question. Um, I'm actually talking on my brand new AirPods, which I love. Sounds great. Last night, I was listening to the episode where you guys talked about that and then also about... Um, uh, I forgot the other name, but there was like a $20, $30 pair of Bluetooth things uh, you guys talked about on episode 638. Anyways, I digress. Um, question is voicemails that you get on the iPhone. I'm comparing the built-in iPhone to I was also using Google Voice. The only feature that I like on Google Voice that I can't figure out on iPhone is my voicemail the audio file itself in addition to the transcription but the audio file is obviously automatically in your google account i for whatever reason think it might be somewhat useful for myself to have archived copies of my voicemails so is there any type of way that i could automate a workflow to backup voicemails that are left on my iphone's voicemail and somehow automatically back those up to iCloud, Google, what have you. It doesn't matter to me where they go, but just kind of looking for an automatic solution to automatically archive all my voicemail. 
Um, I know you can do airdrop individually or email or text it to yourself, et cetera, but I'm looking for a way to somehow on the back end automatically archive all of them for me so I don't have to remember to do it. So that's my question. Um, key challenge, what have you, and don't kick off. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Hey. Uh, oops. All right. Yeah. So th- this is a good question because there is no way to do this en masse using iOS. Um, you could create something in workflow that, you know, saved it out to your Dropbox or whatever. But even still, you'd have to trigger that somehow and it would be one per message. You'd use the share sheet and then and then workflow can go and do the magic for you. But thankfully, we're not limited to just that which is included in iOS. If you use iMazing, that can pull voicemails out of your backups, which effectively is pulling them off your phone. And uh, it pulls them off. It doesn't pull them off as MP3s. It pulls them off as .amr files, which are, as the finder calls them, adaptive multi-rate audio files. And you could, which which are totally playable, by the way, with with Quick Look. So um, you could just leave them in that format. But if you wanted to convert them, you could always save them to the same folder and then either use something like Folder Actions or Hazel to take any AMR files it finds in that folder, convert them to MP3 and delete the AMR. Um, using like uh, AF convert from the finder, something like that. So that's my thought on that, John. What do you, uh, what do you think? I think that really about covers it. I mean, you know, as stated, you, you could either manually, you know, do the share thing, but yes, that can get tedious. Right. So I would. And you would also forget some of them. You know what I mean? So that's. Yeah. Fine. So, uh, so I, I'm with you. Uh, I, don't, I don't do a lot with workflow, but, um, Hopefully it would be able to you'd uh, be able to figure something out. I think iMazing is a better solution than Workflow. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I've used it too. Yeah, I mean because it yeah. you know gives you a view into that's, that's all the of the thing. individual uh, audio files, and you can just grab them all at stored. once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, that's um, yep. Yeah, that's that's how I do it. So if anybody else has a different idea, if we're missing something, I love it when we miss something because then we all get to learn. It makes it easy to hit the four. You know, but um, but certainly I amazing would, would get it done. But workflow is fun. I, I you know, um, maybe not the best solution for this, but uh, I love workflow. I use it all the time. We have um, we have a couple of different slack rooms that we use for Mac Observer. And uh, and one of them is just for leads. Like if somebody has an idea or somebody reads something and was like, oh, you know, we should write a story about this or this would be interesting to look at from this angle or whatever. Uh, we have, you know, a Slack room where you can just dump that stuff. And I, so I've built a workflow. So if I'm reading something in my RSS reader on my iPad or whatever, I can just hit this workflow and say, share it to leads. And it goes automatically, finds the right room, puts it there. It asks me if I want to put a comment in or not. Um, so I can comment it if, if, if it's not obvious why I'm just dropping it there, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and again, you know, like any automation, like we were saying, even during the text expander spot, any automation um, really limits the opportunity for human error, which is obviously an important thing to eliminate. So it's fun stuff. I love workflow. You said you do. You, do you have it, John? Do you, you don't use it much? Yes, I have it. Do you use it? I think you gave it to me. Yeah, I think it did. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's I'll cool. have to revisit, revisit it. It's cool. Lucas, um, you know, we were on our way. I, I like to. Uh, so my son, he's uh, 15 now, but uh, but he's been quite good at math for quite some time. And it got to the point a couple of years ago where I realized, whoa, you know, he's getting faster than me at this stuff. And part of it is because I don't use math every day like he does. So I just started doing an interesting thing where I would calculate the tip if we were out to eat, I would calculate the tip such that the grand sum total of the, you know, the, the price plus the tip came to a palindromic number, which I thought would be cool. You know, just it, it makes me think a little bit before I just, you know, like round and, and leave. And uh, so I did that one night at, at the restaurant and he had built a tip calculator or was using a tip calculator and workflow, but I think he had built it. And, uh, and he said, you know, uh, I bet we could do the palindromic tip calculator and workflow too. And I started thinking about how I would do this. And I thought, man, I don't know. You know, the problem, the, one of the limitations of workflow is it, it has, uh, I, I believe this is still true, but certainly at the time it was true. It had no like case statement. So it would be very difficult to, to code it in a way that, you know, got you what you wanted and, and did all this stuff. If this, it, it would just be a, you know, the way I was thinking about it, it would be this series of if else loops. Right. And I mean, just like this mess of them. And I thought, yeah, man, I, it's possible, but that's a lot of work. So by the time we got home, he was finished and he didn't use an if else loop. He was much smarter than that. He just took the, the total that you plugged in, multiplied it by whatever your preferred tip percentage was dropped the, uh, dollar, the cents from the, the, the thing. So essentially made the number an integer and then uh, took the dollars or the, the right two digits of the dollars, because if it's a three digit thing, if it's over a hundred bucks, then, you know, you don't want to do that. But he took the right two digits of it and swapped them and then just put those as the cents without doing any calculation whatsoever. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's pretty good kiddo. So now that's what I use. I don't do math anymore. So he's totally foiled my, my plans, but workflow is fun. It's good stuff. I think. Yeah. Too geeky, not geeky enough. Workflow is an iOS app for automation. We will put, I think it's workflow.is is the URL. It is. So we'll put that in the, in the show notes too, but see that stuff's fun, John. And workflow makes it really easy to just, you know, bang stuff like that out. And, uh, and you can share them and all that good stuff. If anybody wants that palindromic tip calculator workflow, I will happily share it. Just let me know. Feedback at MacKeyCab.com. I, I didn't quite hear you, Dave. I thought I heard you say feedback at MacKeyCab.com. I said feedback at MacKeyCab.com, and I said it right. I'm pretty sure. That's good. Yep. Okay. Uh, let's see. You know, let's go to Graham here, John, because this is... This is fun. Graham writes, he says, I was listening to episode 641 where you were talking about speeding up an older Mac. My mid 2011, 21 and a half inch iMac has an i7 with an SSD and is fine right now. But I notice I'm often skimming the ceiling with its eight gigs of RAM. So I would like to take it up to 16. Apple gives a max RAM of 16 gigs, but crucial says it will take 32. With that in mind, crucial can supply 16 gigs as either four by four or two by eight two eight gig chips brings a 30 pound savings. Graham is in the UK. I would assume, uh, 
over the 4x4 and also leaves two free slots for the future. My question is, are there any potential speed differences between the two options? For instance, is it better to spread the load over all four slots? Also, my current config is four 2-gig chips. If I went for the two 8-gig chips, could there be any slowdowns by putting two of my current 2-gig chips in the empty slots that uh, that are left, bringing my total from 16 then to 20? I'm thinking of the imbalance of differing RAM sizes here. I'd appreciate any advice. So, Graham, what you're asking, this is a great question, by the way. And what Graham is asking about, I think, John, is is something that's called memory interleaving, right? Where if a computer supports it, the uh, system can make itself a little bit more efficient when reading or writing from RAM, um, maybe five to 10% speed increase by using more than one chip. So it writes to one. And while that is refreshing, it writes to the next one and it kind of treats the two chips as one, but because they are two separate chips, then there can be, or two separate modules, I should say, then there can be an efficiency there if it's, if it's kind of, you know, bouncing back and forth. And good news, your four RAM slot iMac does support memory interleaving. So you can benefit from this five to 10% speed increase. But everything that I read about this for you indicates that that iMac only interleaves two banks, two modules at a time. So there are two banks of two modules each. So as long as you have the same size chip in each of the two banks. So, so if, if your first bank would be the first two slots. If you have the same size chips there, and then the second bank is separate from that, you can have different sizes, but if they are the same, then memory interleaving turns on. So yes, you could do two eight gig chips in the first bank and two, two gig chips in the second bank. You would be taking advantage of interleaving and you would not be slowing yourself down at all. So that's, I believe, my, uh, that's my, that's my, that's my answer, John, but I know you've got some thoughts on this. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I thought I answered this question form too. When I was looking at this, I'm like, wait, you answered it? I thought I answered it. I think I was thinking about an answer and then got distracted go. or something like that. But, um, no, you're absolutely right with the interleaving. So it is it just, just two, boost. two chips per interleaved bank. Is that the right way to sort of crystallize that is that right as far as i know yes okay. the yeah you definitely and as was pointed out apple typically doesn't i don't know why they never tell you the maximum amount of ram well they tell you it's just wrong yeah yeah right <laughs> um, um have yeah, you seen same chip same chip in in a pair will give you better performance um i mean memory chips are already crazy fast anyways right Right. Right. I mean, some of them operate, I think they're like in a gigahertz or something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's well, it's yeah. I mean, my my 2011 27 inch iMac here is running uh, 1.3 gigahertz DDR3 memory modules. I mean, they call it 1333 megahertz, but but, you know, that's that's how math works. But it won't say like I don't see anything in here that indicates that interleaving has been enabled. Um, I'm just, I'm looking in. Wow. So where would one, you know where I'd look, Dave? I would look in 
Let's look in system report under RAM and yeah. see if it, uh, or memory. Yeah, I don't see it there. I don't see interleaving. Yeah, all it's saying, so it says ECC disabled, which is typical of most Apple products. Upgradable memory, no, because I'm looking at my mini right now. Okay. It doesn't indicate if interleaving is, is in And place. I, I definitely have interleaving, interleaving enabled on this machine here because I've got four 8 gig chips. So, uh, you know, same same principle applies, but uh, so in theory, banks zero and one should be interleaved and then banks. Um, oh, this is interesting. So there's bank zero, dim zero, bank one, dim zero, bank zero, dim one and bank one, dim one uh, is how it's listed here. But um, so it's possible I seem to remember something about this now, John. Help me uh, scratch my head with me, if you would. Um, not just because Ew. it feels nice. No, 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 no. I think it'll help me think. Um, are the banks the two adjacent slots, or are the banks the two, like, do they skip a, a slot? I I think it's alternate, right? So it's bank zero, dim zero, and bank zero, dim one, and I think those are like one and three. If you were looking at you, if you looked at the slots and said one, two, three, and four, I think it's one, three, two, and four. We got to look into this. I'm I'm hoping that somebody in the chat room might know uh, about interleaving because I know it's possible. But uh, really, I guess the um, the thing to do would be to put the chips in and then come here to system information and look at memory. And make sure that bank zero dim zero and bank zero dim one are the same size. But I think something I seem to remember on this machine, or at least on a machine in this room, and it might not have been this machine, but having to do it with it like the leapfrog kind of uh, layout. So I forget. So you got to check it. Data for nothing and bits for free in the chat room says alternate banks other way around. So I'm not, but I'm not sure what that means. Alternate banks, dim zeros are the same size. Dim ones are the same size. Ah, okay. So it is the other way around. So in this, then it is, you put the, you put the, the adjacent chips of the same size. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Data for nothing and bits for free. So it is dim zeros are the same size and dim ones are the same size. And you have bank zero and bank one of each. Okay. Wow. All right, John, get us geeky with, uh, with the uh, networking mess with Michael. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, I was scratching my head over this one. Here. Okay. Well, I'll, you, I, you scratch <laughs> your head. head. <laughs> you scratch your head. I'll scratch mine. Wait. And I'd like to get your <laughs> thought on this one. Because I'm speculating as to what the problem is here. But um, Mike says, hey, guys, I've been having an issue on my 2015 12-inch MacBook running Sierra. It takes up to 60 seconds after waking from sleep before any web content will load in the browser. After that 60 seconds or so, everything is fine. Immediately upon opening the MacBook, the Wi-Fi menu bar icon shows that I'm connected to my network. So it's not like it's taking time searching for the network. I should note that this only occurs when the computer has been sleeping for longer than about an hour. I'm using a Netgear 8500 router, if that makes any difference, and this problem doesn't seem to happen on this machine with Windows 10 via boot camp. Thanks for any help, and keep up the good work. 
We'll do what we can. Um, my initial gut reaction on this, Dave, is that maybe this is a DNS issue. I, 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 uh, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my initial thought is that it's a DNS issue. Perhaps uh, the DNS cache. And we know, and you know how we all love caches, except when they get corrupt and they don't do what they should. I love cache. Wait, that's not what you're talking about. C A C H E cache. Right. Five letter cache. Um, one thing you may want to try, because it's only happening on the Mac side, you may want to flush the DNS cache. How do you do that, you may ask? And there's a few ways of doing that. So one is you use our pal Onyx. And if you go to cleaning, internet, there's a little checkbox for DNS cache to do that. There's also an article I found from uh, dreamhost.com that tells you how to do it from the uh, command line, but might as well use Onyx since it's free. So that's one option. Another could be you may be running into a DNS fallback situation in that typically you have more than one DNS assigned to your uh, Typically, you set it up on your router. You can set it up on the client, but uh, I think it's a better strategy to set it up on your router so it's the same for all of your uh, devices. Uh, and typically, you have a primary and a secondary. Uh, it could be that it's failing, and maybe 60 seconds is the timeout where it's like, I'm not getting anything done here. So uh, let me go to the, uh, the fallback one. So you may actually want to uh, set different values for the DNS or maybe change the order of them and see if that helps. While you're doing that though, you may want to explore and find out what the best DNS is for you. A lot of times the default is what your ISP provides, but that not, that is not necessarily the fastest or the best DNS. Um, there's a dandy little utility that I've used in the past. And that actually convinced me to move over to uh, uh, open DNS and uh, Google so I use both of those because those are the two fastest that this utility found. And the utility is called NameBench and uh, github.com slash Google slash NameBench. So those are a couple of thoughts that I actually have more thoughts, Dave. What you could do, now you may not know this, but you will now, is that if you go into your Wi-Fi menu and you hold down the option key, as is often the case, you will see more goodies so one thing it'll tell you is if you look at the access point you're connected to, you may want to make sure uh, you're going to see something that says internet reachable. You may just want to make sure that during that time frame where you're starting up, that it is in fact set to reachable and not reachable. There could be some issue with you getting to your ISP. I don't know. Sure. But there's also some things here, Dave. There's a, if you hold on the option key, you're going to see... If you're on wireless, you're going to see open wireless diagnostics. You may want to run that and just see what it says. That could help isolate the, uh, the problem. And lastly, the thing is, if you're having a problem with a wired connection, there's also a test, but there is no Ethernet menu. <laughs> so you can't go there. So if you want to, if you want to test your, uh, run Apple's utility to test your connection, for a wired connection, you would go to System Preferences, Network, click on Ethernet, and then you're going to see a little button that says Assist Me, dot, dot, dot. And if you click on that, you're then going to get a few options. And one of them is Diagnostics, dot, dot, dot. So if you're having a problem with your wired connection, uh, 
Apple will do their best to try to figure out what the problem is. And uh, last I've run it, I'm not going to run it now because I don't want it to disrupt my connection. Right. Um, but I believe one thing that that thing, that utility checks, and I think the wireless version as well, is they will check, you know, is your DNS healthy and working properly? So that's what I got to say about that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you on this DNS thing. Uh, maybe uh, Peter Cohen in our, again, back in our Mac Geek Hub Facebook group, I was asking about an issue where he was having his network connection start to do this sort of randomly, not just after reboot. And the best way he could solve it was to turn off Wi-Fi and turn it back on again, um, at which, you know, fine. But I said, well, go one step deeper. And instead of turning it on and off again, go into the into system preferences, uh, network, Wi-Fi, advanced TCP IP and click renew DHCP lease to get refreshed information from the router. And he said that worked, but I believe that also will flush the DNS cache because it's getting new information. So it's saying, all right, let's start from scratch. So I think his problem is the DNS cache as well. Um, it's possible. Like I said, I'm picking up what you're putting down. It's possible that what, um, Michael is experiencing here is a DNS issue, but the, the part that kind of gives me pause on that is that he said it takes, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of a minute, 60 seconds for the computer to start working on the internet. And then after that, everything is fine. So it could simply be that whatever you're doing to boot the machine is, or, or log in to the machine uh, is, you know, slowing things down or it could be, so it, it'd be worth trying this like in safe mode, uh, with the shift key down where it doesn't load any of the stuff at startup that would, that would sort of rule that out. So that would be a good thing to, tr to try if, um, if heading down this DNS path doesn't work. But the other thing that it makes me think of is proxies. So system preferences, network, Again, for Wi-Fi, you'd go to Wi-Fi. For Ethernet, you go to Ethernet. For Wi-Fi, you'd go to Advanced. For Ethernet, you don't have to. And then after you're there, go to Proxies. And it's like the, whatever, the sixth tab over or fourth tab, depending on which one you are. Make sure nothing is checked here unless you know that something should be checked. Really, the bottom, there's a checkbox sort of separate from all the rest, way down at the bottom that says use passive FTP, FTP mode. That's fine. Use passive. That, that's fine to leave that checked. But the rest of the boxes on this page, unless you are, your ISP has told you you must check them, do not check them. Because especially if auto proxy discovery or auto configuration is checked, it's going to be looking to get information about how it should connect to the Internet. And it will sit there until it gets that information, which if you have a proxy set up, it often will just deliver it right away and it'll all sort of happen very quickly. But if you don't have a proxy, your computer will wait until it times out. And then it'll say, all right, we're just going to try it sort of the normal way and see if that works. Some connections, most connections work what I'll call the normal way where you don't need any uh, stated proxy to do your internet connecting for you. But some connections do require a proxy where you um, specifically sent funnel all your requests through a special type of computer or router 
that then goes and forms those and puts them on the internet. Most of us are actually using a, a proxy of sorts with our, our standard router setup, but, uh, but you don't need to configure that here. That just works. You tell it it's the gateway. It sort of sees the request and it, it does it internally. So that's, that's the only other thing is it's possible that a proxy could be, have been set at some point. And if it was uncheck it, see if that works. I don't know. Just another thought. No, that's a good one. We, we actually did have a question uh, several weeks ago where that was the cause. Mm. Um, now, now, he asks if, uh, no, nah, I don't think it's a router issue. It could be. I, I, so you he know. says he has a Netgear 8500. I'm, I'm well, not familiar with the Netgear 8500. So I don't know if there's a firmware update or a bug in there in there or something that you may want to. Sure. Yeah. That, yeah, it's possible. I've got, I've got one of the 8500s. It's a nice, it's a tri-band router. Um, but uh, if you have a Netgear router mm. as an aside, mm. go update your firmware right away. If you haven't done it in the last week, they had a, um, some kind of a breach that, uh, it's solved by yeah, it's solved by firmware. So if you're running a Netgear router, go like literally stop listening to the show, go update the firmware, and then and then come back and all right, you're back. All right, good. Now we can carry. Run, don't that's, walk. That's right. <laughs> lastly, yeah, I don't. You try a different browser. I don't know if if you if it's just see if it happens with different browsers. It could be that there's you need to clean up Safari or sure. Uh, you know, whatever information it has cached. I've actually had that solve some problems where, yeah, so I see the progress bar in Safari just creeping along and nothing's happening. I'm like, ah, man. And, you know, there's a, a menu choice where you can basically clear out most of the cruft or use Onyx to clear out a lot of the uh, browser-related or internet-type cruft yeah. that accumulates. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> cool. All right. Um, Brian has a question. Brian asks, he said, longtime listener, first time emailer. Well, it's a pleasure, Brian. I was thinking of moving my files, my iTunes library, my photos, etc., to a NAS drive, but then was thinking maybe it could be done via cloud. What are the best slash slash safest slash affordable options for this? Okay. Um, so I, I think in order to answer that question, and we'll do it sort of generally, but um, we'll break down the different types of, of data that you asked about. So for your files, any cloud storage option is going to work for you. And that includes things like, like iCloud drive, right? Dropbox, box.net, right? We call it Google drive, Amazon drive, or, and this sort of clouds the whole thing, no pun intended, uh, something like Synology cloud station, which is, which acts a lot like Dropbox, but stores it locally, right? And and I would categorize the the Lima in that uh, as well. I was I was going to talk about the Lima and and cool stuff found today, but I'm not quite done testing it, so we'll punt that till till next week. But um, but the the Lima at meetlima.com is again another type of private cloud, you know, syncing thing. You run an app on your Mac, it just syncs your files, and it doesn't care what kind of files they are, it just syncs them. Some services have size limitations, but otherwise pretty much that's it. That, and you know, that's where uh, I read it. I, I used box for a while, but yep. then found that their, their, uh, no pay option will not let you do files over a certain size. So I don't, 
really use box. Right. Right. Uh, OneDrive is another one I'd like to oh, mention. Oh, there you go. Yep. That one's really nice because they have a iOS client and a, a Mac. Yeah. So kind of all your stuff is in one place. So, yep. uh, I mentioned them. Yep. I think that, then, that covers all the uh, cloud services. Well, there, there may be a couple more. Yeah, I mean, there's there's NextCloud and OwnCloud, as Andy says in the chat room at macgeekup.com slash stream, if you want to roll your own, you know, private cloud. So, but that that's for your files. Now, for your music, because um, you said iTunes, but I'm going to split iTunes in half and say music and then also videos. So for your music, certainly Apple Music is an option. Right. Uh, or iTunes match, you know, they both uh, in that sense do the same thing. Apple music gets you streaming of things you don't own. In addition to syncing uh, of the things that you do, iTunes match just gets you the latter, which is the syncing of all the things that, that you do with iCloud music library. So there's that um, there's Amazon music, which is a streaming service, Google music. And then there's things like the Synology audio station, which is your own private cloud for music. And yes, there's an iOS app for it and you can play music there and it actually works great. So that's, that's music for videos. There are no dedicated video streaming services that let you stream, you know, from your, from your library. Um, certainly if you've bought everything with, uh, with iTunes, then you can you can get things to your iPad from Apple servers or your iPhone from Apple servers. But that's not to me. That's not the same as saying I have this big library that I want to stream like we're doing with with uh, with music. So with that, you, you do have to go uh, sort of roll your own as far as as far as I know. And that would be, you know, something like Synology's video station or any or and this is now is true for music as well. You could in theory, use one of any one of the file syncing options that we talked about to uh, store your music and video libraries. Again, if you have enough space available on them to do that, and then that could sync amongst your Macs. Now that's where you got to get really careful though, because I wouldn't point my iTunes library to something that's syncing and being changed on another computer that fails miserably. Uh, there is something called SuperSync, though, that will do that. Um, that kind of allows you to to do that sort of thing. It's it it's as close to the holy grail of syncing your iTunes library as we've ever seen, but it's a little bit wonky. So uh, you know, I don't know. I I've tried it. I had high hopes for it. It always felt weird to me, but uh, but maybe you would have better luck with it. There, there are people that use it. So SuperSync is, is kind of one of those that, that all float out there. And then uh, photos, you know, so again, you know, any of the file syncing options can do that, but be very careful pointing your photos library at something that's being changed elsewhere. Um, but then, you know, there's iCloud photo library, there's Google photos, there's Amazon photos, there's Synology photo station, um, you know, uh, all of, all of those things that, uh, that are out there to sync your photos. Flickr, right? Flickr. Yes. Yep. I yeah. I mentioned that. Yeah. You got to pay for Flickr, but, um, if you want to sync it from your Mac. Uh, yeah. If you want to run the, the Flickr oh, uploader sync. Okay. Uh, from your Mac, then, then you need to pay for it. Yeah. So, um, 
but not from, not from iOS. So it gets interesting. Um, but those are, that's kind of the, I feel like this, this conversation might, might be uh, revisited in the future as, as people sort of share their, their thoughts about this. But uh, do you have any other thoughts, John, before we migrate onward? No, no. Okay. Okay. Let's um, go to, I believe it's a different Michael on this one. Michael says, uh, my wife and I both use the same computer. She has a non-admin account, which she uses regularly. Suddenly it stopped letting her log in when the computer restarts and you get the list of accounts, the other two accounts log in fine, an admin account and my non-admin general account. When we try to log into hers after entering the password, the spinning gear starts, but never stops spinning and nothing happens. Eventually we have to hold the start button to stop the computer. I've tried booting from another hard drive and running disk utility and drive genius. Both report the disk as being fine. I then copied all her files, including her library onto this other hard drive for safety. Now I'm not sure what else to try. Do you think disk warrior would help? I suppose I could try to delete that account and copy over her files into a new account that we create, but I'd rather fix the problem if possible. So this is interesting. Um, I feel like this might be a permissions issue with her user account that are corrupted. Now he did point, he did send a screenshot that indicates he's on El Capitan, which makes resolving this a little bit or testing this at least a little bit easier. Um, when you repair permissions with disk utility on El Capitan, uh, it only repairs the system wide permissions, those outside of the user account. And this is why in Sierra, theoretically, we don't have permissions repair anymore because theoretically it's impossible for those permissions outside of your user account to get changed. Nothing about disk utility repairs the permissions inside your user account on either El Capitan or Sierra. So, and those can very easily be changed by you, the user or anything that you run. Um, the problem is they also took out something little magic in Sierra that lets you do a user, uh, user account permission repair. And that is the reset password utility. Uh, it's something that, you need the best way to run it is to boot into um, recovery mode and go to the terminal. I know this sounds weird. Type reset password and it brings up a GUI utility from there, which is great. And then from in that you can choose to reset user permissions and that will reset the permissions on your user account to whatever it is um, you want them to be. And actually we did, we heard back from Michael and, and in fact that solved it uh, for him. It was a, a user permissions issue. The problem is if he were on Sierra, there is not an easy way to do this. Uh, one way would be to uh, open that account up in the finder from another account and, uh, and attempt to change the permissions there. I'm not sure if the finder would let you change permissions on another account. It might, as you, if you were an admin, it might ask you to authenticate and then you can just sort of reset permissions back to some defaults. And if you do a get info on their user folder, that would be one way to do it. I'm not sure that would get you exactly back to where you should be, but it might get you to the point where you could log in. Um, there is another way uh, with the terminal 
And this is, uh, this gets a little weird, but if, if you run disk utility from the terminal, it's disk util, D I S K U T I L. And then a space and then reset user permissions with a capital U and a capital P, but not a capital R and then a slash. And then uh, on that drive, and then you put the user number in. And so you'd have to get your wife's user number, which you could get by going to system preferences, users and groups control, click on your wife's account to choose advanced options. And from there you will see, but please don't change her user number at the top. Hit cancel to get out of this once you get that number. And then you could run that disk utel command. But this gets really interesting in Sierra. Unless, John, you found some third-party utility that would do this. Mm. No, huh? Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a tough one. What I am trying to find, there was... I know there was some command line thing that could repair some system level permissions. I'm trying to find an article that talks about it, even though they say technically you can't. Right. You kind of sort of can in a, in a very limited scope here. I'll, I'll have to take a see if I can find the article okay. that talks about that. Okay. Yeah. There is this article at, um, at Apple toolbox dot, uh, dot com that we'll link to here. And that, um, that does talk about how to do this in Sierra with the uh, with the command line. So we'll we'll put a link to it. Talks about how to do it in in um, in uh, El Capitan too. But uh, this is this is how to do it, and uh, it, it kind of talks about all of them. So yeah, I wish there was an easier way. I feel like uh, well, wait, doesn't Yasu do this? At Yasu for Mac, yet another system utility for Mac. And I believe he's got a Sierra version of this. And if he does, yes, there is a checkbox for reset home folder permissions. Um, oh, I wonder if that invokes that. Uh, yeah. yeah the, the secret terminal command. Cool. Yeah. But the thing is, I've gone to Yasu for Mac and I don't see. Oh, there it is. Download. Yeah. So there is. There's a Sierra version. Rewind. This is the easiest way to do it for Sierra. <laughs> um, and so we'll put a link to Yasu in the show notes, too, um, because that's probably the easiest way to get this done. I think it's always easier to do it with the, a GUI, like we said before. So. Fun stuff. All right. Uh, where are we here, John? We're at 114. You want to take us to Todd before we leave? Todd has a great question. Good. You think? Yeah, <clears throat> I do. Okay. My Comcast router broadcasts the free slash open Wi-Fi Xfinity Wi-Fi network. In addition to my own private WPA2 Wi-Fi network. I almost never use Xfinity Wi-Fi except if my own network is down briefly for some reason. My neighbor, who can see my Xfinity Wi-Fi, suggested I disable it because it's a security risk to my own network. Is that true? Uh, the quick answer is no. <laughs> so tell, tell us why that's not a security risk. And then I have another question for you. But I, I agree with you that it's not. Oh, a and then the, and the final... Yeah, the, the, the last part of the question is, can someone join my router's Xfinity Wi-Fi and hack into the rest of my network from there? The answer is no, because they are two separate networks. Explain that, please. 
they they are there is no connection between the two of them. Well, we but we know that there's a connection between the two of them. I mean, it, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm playing I'm playing the, devil's the radios, advocate. The radios, right. right? All right. So physically, there are two different radios in the router. One no. for Xfinity Wi-Fi. No, there aren't. They're, they they use the same router, same channel. If I change the channel for my internal Wi-Fi network, the Xfinity Wi-Fi channel changes. It is one set of radios used for both. Yeah, I, you're right that they are not connected, but they are absolutely using the same. Uh, okay, the but same then radios. I guess what would we say? Logically, they're separate. Correct. And That's that, right. That the two yeah. networks have uh, don't have anything to do with one another. That's right. Except that they happen to be contained within the same device. So physically, yes, they are both inside of your, your router, but there is no way to get from one to the other. Well, I suppose there is if you like VPN in, you know, if you want to yeah. do something crazy like that. Yeah, you the, the whatever's um, on the Xfinity network is treated as an external connection like any other external connection. So you're right. If you have something that you could hack into from anywhere on the internet, then certainly somebody could use the, the Xfinity Wi-Fi connection as anywhere on the internet. But that's truly where the limitation, the, the wall lives. It, yeah, it's a virtual SSID that's created with a with a separate network assigned to it. Right. What I'm trying to, and, and they even in their FAQ, they, they say as much. Yeah. They're like, no, they're two separate networks. They're, they're not connected to each other at all. Yeah. And that one cannot act. Uh, you'd have to intentionally set up a way to get from one to the other. Right. It's not like somebody can log into Xfinity Wi-Fi and, and just get into your network. I've always felt it's, it's, like it's very much like a guest network. So uh, almost every yeah. modern Wi-Fi access, and, and that's the really what the the equivalent of this is. And they actually suggest as much. They're so like, you know what? Rather than letting a visitor onto your home network, let them on the Xfinity Wi-Fi instead. Mm. And and they claim it won't take away from your bandwidth. Is that you know that it, it's also you know it's separate pipes. So if you're so, using the Xfinity network, in theory, it's not going to take away from the bandwidth on your. Uh, on your connection. So that's true and false, right? Because what it won't take away from, like if you get, let's say you get a hundred megabits down and 10 megabits up from Comcast, right? The people on your Xfinity or on the Xfinity Wi-Fi network broadcast from your house, not yours, but the, mm -hmm. you know, um, will not impact that hundred down and 10 up the, the bandwidth that they get. It's on a separate VLAN. It's, it's compartmentalized out and, and whatever they get it, they get, uh, and that's separate from you. So if you had devices on ethernet, you would not see any speed impact from people being connected to Xfinity Wi-Fi. However, we all know the way Wi-Fi works. And until we all, have client devices that support multi-user MIMO, each radio can only speak to one device at a time. And because we already know that those are using one radio, then it is possible that someone on your Xfinity Wi-Fi network could cause you Wi-Fi slowdowns if they're doing a lot of activity on your, on your radio. Now, it, I, I don't know how Comcast decides a priority level. They might say, OK, look, if we're getting a lot of activity from the main, you know, the paid for network, then go ahead and deprioritize people are on, that are on this other, you know, virtual SSID. 
that that could happen. And certainly we've all experienced that where you join Xfinity Wi-Fi and you get nothing. Um, and maybe that's the reason. But uh, but it certainly could impact your Wi-Fi, not from a security standpoint, though, just from a performance standpoint. Just Possibly. because there's all the Wi-Fi. Yeah, it, there's only yeah, yeah I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, there's only the one. Well, there's two Wi-Fi radios, right? The, there's the 2.4 and the five gigahertz. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's going to be the potential for contention there, I would think. But again, I don't I don't know how Comcast has programmed it to prioritize that. So my uh, it's not an option currently for the router that I have. Mm. Uh, when I did set up my parents with their uh, Aris slash Xfinity, uh, it had the option. It yeah. said, hey, you know, you want to turn the, the, the I think I actually, yeah, I logged in. You can either do it from a, a, the web interface to your account or if you know the username and password to the uh, router, you can disable it there as well. Right. And, That's right. And I saw that option there and I'm like, eh, I'll leave it on. Yeah. Because yeah. I trust that they're uh, separate and you're, you're kind of being, you know, uh, you're being, a, a, I would say, a good network citizen by leaving it on. Because if everybody turned it off, then you wouldn't be able to access your Xfinity Wi-Fi right. that you're paying for, right? Right. Yeah, if it's not causing you problems, I mean, it's it's certainly worth disabling. If you know it's causing you problems, then by, by all means, turn it off. If you... Um, if you are, and, and, and one scenario of that would be if for whatever reason you're choosing not to use the, the Wi-Fi in your, in your Comcast router and, and, or Xfinity router, and instead are using something like an Eero or, or any, you know, third party router, then, um, you almost certainly want to turn it off there because you're probably going to have your router's radio right next to your cable modem. And having two radios right on top of each other is not always the best idea. So turning that off entirely to get the radios off would be helpful in that scenario. And it's also a good thing to turn off as a troubleshooting measure. But I agree with you, John. If if you decide that it's most certainly not causing you any issues, uh, then I, 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 I'm with you. Leave it on because... It, that way, you know, more people can take advantage of, of this sort of distributed, you know, Wi-Fi. It's not a mesh, but, you know, <laughs> the, the public Wi-Fi. So it is good. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I'm thinking of, and I, I've done this in the past, um, the, though it should make the selection intelligently about what channel your radio and their radio is on. I mean, I suppose they could do something stupid and, and put them both on the same channel, which would be a disaster, right? You mean if you're running a third-party router or something? Well, or theirs, you know, so they have your network and then they have their Xfinity Wi-Fi network. But that's uh, what I'm telling you. It's yeah. literally the same radio. So they are, they are on the same channel. Like the radio can only, each radio can only be on one channel at a time. So if, if you, and you can test this, like go to your parents' house and run iStumbler. If you look at the, that, you know, all the networks that are broadcast, you'll see that Xfinity Wi-Fi is on exactly the same channel or channels if it broadcasts five gigahertz because it's literally the same radio. And if you go and change the channel for your parents' Wi-Fi, you know, their internal, you know, secure Wi-Fi, you will see the radio channel for the Xfinity change right along with it. Because that just because I mean, it's one radio. So that's how that works. It's just virtual SSIDs on the same radio or radios. So, yeah. All righty then. Yeah. 
Jawohl. But it's fun stuff. I, and I agree with you. I, I'd leave it on unless unless there's good reason to turn it off. And one of those reasons might be if for whatever reason, your devices just seem to want to associate with with, you know, the Xfinity Wi-Fi even and you can't get it not to. Then it's like, all right, you got to go causing problems. Got to go. All right. Well, thank you for your wisdom, because I was uh, operating on the information they made available without actually having much hands-on knowledge where obviously you have hands-on yeah. knowledge because they're your ISP. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my dad's ISP too. I don't run a, an Xfinity. Um, I, the, the modem I have here is not a, a Wi-Fi gateway from them. But, um, but it, you know, I've, I've, yeah, I've messed with it. <laughs> Tried to figure out exactly that. Like, are they, are they conflicting? No, it's the same thing. So, you know, there you go. Your own little Logan Wi-Fi that you can run from your house. Maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll set up a virtual network here and name it Logan Wi-Fi just to just to, just to trigger myself. So, yeah, free internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And people can log into it. Join me now. <laughs> I always like when people get creative with their things, like you know, FBI surveillance van or things like that. Uh huh. Yeah. I like that. It's good. Well, we already told you how to email us, unless the one thing we didn't tell you is if you are a premium listener, in which case you can email us at premium at MacGeekGab.com because you get priority. Premium listeners, if you want to become a premium listener, just visit MacGeekGab.com and all the details are there. Uh, We've been having great luck migrating those of you... uh, that are existing premium listeners over to our new system. New people that, that sign up will just automatically sign up on the new system. But uh, expect that your account will be migrated. We, in theory, probably won't even have to tell you that we're doing it because we've uh, we've sorted out enough of the, the issues. I think we've got a, a really solid path now. So we're sort of migrating people as your renewals are about to come up. But uh, if you're not on the Mac Geekab premium plan. We'd love to have you join us. Visit us at MacGeekab.com. Uh, if you're able to, you do get, uh, well, the first thing you get is that warm, fuzzy feeling of supporting your two favorite geeks. And as a thank you, we provide you with uh, this premium at MacGeekab.com email address where you get priority responses. Uh, we do try to answer every email that comes in, though. And we're very honest about that. But, uh, but th- those of you that are premium, you get answered first. That's kind of how we do it. Just as a thanks, because you're helping us keep the lights on here. We really appreciate it. So That's that. You can email us. Oh, you can call us, rather. 224-888-GEEK. John, that is? 4335. It is. It is. We already talked about the Facebook group. John, you want to tell them about Twitter? What about Twitter? I love that Twitter. thing. I know. Yeah. It's that thing. Um... If you want to be on that thing, uh, if you want to follow me, I am John Efron. If you want to follow him, he's Dave Hamilton. If you want to follow the podcast, it's Mac Geekab. If you want to follow Mac Observer, you can go there too. And uh, oh, and there's that Pilot Pete guy who's off piloting somewhere. I ran into him at a hockey game recently. I told him he's got to come here, and like we got to have him. So he 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 would love to come back. He's just been like you said off piloting. Somebody's got to do it. I'd like to thank Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com for providing us all the bandwidth that it takes to get the podcast from us to you. They've got points of presence 
all over the world, dozens of them, so that when you download Mac Geek Gab, you don't have to download it from me here in New Hampshire. You download it from uh, wherever is closest to you. It's a beautiful thing. We really appreciate that from Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. They're great little hosting provider and, and content distribution network. Also, of course, want to thank our sponsors. That uh, means Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash MGG, where you get three meals for free. Smile Software at uh, smilesoftware.com slash geek, or smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek, where you can learn all about Text Expander for Teams. Eero, Eero.com, where coupon code MGG gets you free overnight shipping on our current favorite, Mesh Wireless System. Of course, other sponsors in the podcast marketplace include fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG, MaxSales.com, Barebones.com, and GoDaddy.com, where coupon code MGG30 saves you 30%. Saves me 30%, too. I use it all the time when I'm buying new domains. I love it. It's great. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. By the time you hear this, you'll probably already know the results of the Super Bowl, but I'll say go Pats because, you know, I live in New Hampshire. And so that's it's just how we have to do things here. It's it's the rules. And uh, but I really I just hope it's a fun game because otherwise then it's boring to watch either way. John, what do you have to say? Oh, in light of the Super Bowl, you know, I think we're going to have to change uh, change our uh, outlook here, Dave, because I think in this case we do want to get caught. If you're the ball. Yes. Man. <laughs> <laughs>